morning, I want to touch on a key component of teamwork. We're going to talk about commitment. Commitment uh, is something that we all have in our lives to one varying degree or another. Some of us are good at it. Some of us are bad at it. Uh, we'll define it in just a moment. But commitment is an essential part of the team and teamwork in and of itself. It is said oftentimes that talk is cheap. I've heard that statement plenty of times. I believe that talk is cheap. And I'm saying that into a microphone to a group of people. Okay? I understand that words can be cheap. Words oftentimes don't mean a lot. We, we, value, uh, we value people's words. We love their kindness and their demeanor as they speak them. But what says so much more to us, especially the older I think that we get, more seasoned we are in life, is what people do and their actions. They can tell me that they're going to do something, but we all know in the back of our heads we're doing this. And depending on the person, we may have them all crossed and legs and toes and all that stuff because they're not necessarily the most committed person we've ever met. And they may maybe have not followed through a time or two in the things they said they would do. But talk can be cheap depending on the things that we do with those words and our follow through in that. This morning there's a passage of scripture that we're going to highlight as we talk about commitment. Uh, John 15 uh, verses 9 through 17. And I've asked uh, my friend Piper to come and read that for us this morning. As she comes, I want to mention that we're going to, you're going to clap for her. All right, that's fine. That's fine. Like three people really like you. I think two of them you're related to. So, um, but uh, this morning we're going to uh, use this scripture as the, the context of this discussion. And uh, again, I just wanted Piper to read that through for us. Is it not on? No. <gasps> Somebody turned off. You can use mine. Thank you. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abided in, your, in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my love may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friend if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servants does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for, that, for all that I have heard from my father I have known to you. You did not choose me, but I choose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Thank you. <laughs> this scripture um, speaks a lot of great truths, and we're going to dive into some different passages here. I want to focus in for just a moment on, on verse 9, and as we do that, I want to define commitment as I said we would. Uh, the definition of commitment is the state or quality of being dedicated to a cause, activity, etc. That is an important thing to take note of. Uh, again, verse 9 states that as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. In our culture, we use the word uh, love quite a bit, pretty extensively. Uh, again, we, we love the team that we cheer for. We love our friends. Um, we love our spouse. We love our kids. Um, we love cheese. We love tacos. 
I'll avoid talking too much about food, because uh, I know we still got a little bit uh, before we go do that again. But we love things, and we say it almost flippantly. You know, when someone makes a funny joke, oh, I love you, that's hilarious. You know, we, we, see, uh, we see a picture and, uh, on a wall as we're maybe waiting in a doctor's office, and, and it's a cute little kid. Oh, I love that, that's amazing. We say the word love, and it's not a bad thing that we say it, but it, we kind of make it a little broader than we need to, I think, oftentimes. It's, it's used a little bit more than we should, and maybe even not the best uh, descriptive word for what we are going through, what we're seeing, or what we like, or what we enjoy. It's just the word that comes to mind. I think that, there's nothing wrong with that, don't get me wrong, but I think it's, uh, it needs to be defined um, what we are uh, saying that about and what we really mean as we say it. As Jesus told his disciples that he loves them, he commands them to remain in his love. To remain in his love, again, means to abide or rest within his love, as the second part of that verse states. Jesus' commitment to loving us is such of a nature that it can sustain us through difficult times. If that was not true, then he wouldn't have commanded his followers to remain in it. The word love has multiple meanings, and the Greek language uh, communicates the differences in those meanings by using different words. The word love used in verse 9 and throughout this passage is agape, which is the greatest example of love in that it is sacrificial love. And that's an important thing to note as you, if you are writing notes today. Uh, that's the word specifically used in this passage. The, uh, <clears throat> Jesus sorry, told his disciples then and his disciples today that he loves us enough to sacrifice himself for us. This is the greatest form of love. One of the greatest examples of sacrificial love that I could think of this, uh, as I was going through this is something I wa- witnessed one of my parents do a long time ago. Uh, I did not grow up, I, I grew up in, in a pastor's home, and I've talked about that extensively um, in uh, different sermons that I've preached, but um, I didn't, because of that, have a lot of money in my house. We grew up in a, a rural community here in Oregon. Um, is where, well, where I was spending my formative years in Klamath Falls and in Bonanza, which is right outside of it. And uh, as I spent time there, um, my dad didn't exactly take positions that paid a whole lot of money. My mom was usually the breadwinner in my home, uh, to be really honest. And one year we were going through a lot as a family. Um, I'd had a really difficult year personally as a teenager. Uh, my sister was struggling with some stuff. My brother was still pretty young. I think he was about uh, seven years old at the time, and um, we just had been through a lot with our church, it had been a very stressful season, we were building uh, a new building in the community that we were in, and it was just a lot, it was my dad's first lead pastorate, and he just took on the world all at once, like crazy person, and was just really stressed out, and my mom made this very selfless decision um, to step away from her job that she loved, to spend time with us as a family. Um, and uh, I, I, I appreciated it, but didn't fully understand it until we got to Christmas that year. Because as you can imagine, we went from two incomes to one. And that can be pretty taxing on a family. And in our situation, it definitely was. My mom was uh, receiving unemployment benefits, and that was helping out a little bit. Um, but she was homeschooling us, and we were doing a whole lot of hamburger helper at the time. Um, and uh, we had a church food pantry that we raided regularly. Um, uh, to kind of make ends meet. And when it came time for Christmas, you could tell that um, we weren't suiting up for our best one, you know. Um, And uh, my mom one day takes me aside 
after her and my dad had had one of those uh, marital discussions, okay, discussions, and my dad uh, was spending some time alone in his office after that, and my mom said, hey, we, we need to think about Christmas. I was, I'm 15, maybe just turned 16, somewhere in that range, and I said, mom, what do you, what do you mean we need to think about Christmas? She goes, well, about presents. And this was the first time my mom had ever really had an adult conversation with me. She goes, Matt, we don't have a lot of money for presents. I'm like, okay, well, we never have a whole lot of money for anything. That's pretty obvious. No big deal. And she goes, no, we, we have no money. And we don't think the church is going to be able to do something nice for the family, as our, our church here does for us, and, and that church had done at the time. She said, I don't think there's going to be any kind of gift or anything this year, so we've got to figure this out. Your dad's really frustrated, and I can't talk to him about it. I was like, okay, I don't know what you want me to do. I don't work. <laughs> I'm just a kid. I don't have a job. Um, and uh, my mom said, I think, I think we're going to take some stuff to the pawn shop and see what we can get for it. And that kind of hit me. Oh, like this is real. Okay? And um, I, had a, I had a PlayStation that I had not been using, and I thought, well, that's fine. I got, in, I got a different video game system. because uh, uh, As some of you are aware, I had really nice grandparents that lived in this town, and they used to buy me nice things. And uh, I took my old video game system and a couple other things I knew were of some value that I didn't use or play with or whatever, and we, I went to the pawn shop with my mom. And I didn't realize how big of a deal this was to my mom. She was, she was about to sacrifice some things. And while we were there, I... Um, they gave us money for a few electronic devices and different things that we had. And it was just her and I. This was our secret mission. We were grocery shopping um, when we did this. And then I saw my mom pull out something that I don't see my mom even wear all that often. And it was a set of pearls. And they were real. And they were a gift my mom on her wedding day. And she wore them uh, at her wedding. And I remember she took them out and she began to cry. And nobody's talking to her, and, and the gentleman is, was helping somebody else uh, for a moment, and she just stood at the counter crying. And I kind of, you know, I'm, I'm pretty awkward when people are emotional anyway. I'm just being honest. Um, I was pretty awkward with my mom. I hadn't seen her like that before that I remembered. And I walked up to my mom, and I, are you Okay. No. No, I just can't believe I have to do this. But I know I need to. And I said, Mom, you, you don't have to. We'll, we can figure out something else. And she looked at me and she said, No, I want to do this. I only wear these once or twice a year. They're not that important to me. And she says, What is more important to me is your sister and your brother. And I want to make sure that they know that I love them. And as a parent, sure. I think we've, those of us that are parents in the room, we, we've certainly felt those feelings. I'll give up whatever I need to for my kids. But as a kid, watching your parent that way, I said, Mom, you don't have to do this for us. Karen couldn't care less. Seriously. And Josh, Josh is seven. He's not even going to remember this. Mom, what are you doing? Not a big deal. And she's like, you will one day understand. This will be important to you. That you can lay something down for your own children. And the guy came back and my mom handed over her pearls. 
and he gave her a decent sum of money for him and was very nice about it. And he let her know, you know, I, I will gladly give these back to you if you come up with even a portion of these, this money. He was very, very nice about it. He could see it was difficult for her. And I remember walking out of that place and looking at my mom and understanding that my mom genuinely cared more for us than she did for herself. It was more important to see a smile on our face than for her to wear one on hers. And as a kid, you don't understand that to a certain point. And that was my, my revelation about who my mom was, that she was a sacrificial human being. She loved sacrificially. Agape describes exactly that type of love that she was trying to pour out to me and to my siblings. And I'd never been more proud as a child of my parents and my wife. Not because well, we were going to have a better Christmas, but because my mom understood sacrifice. And she cared so deeply that she would give up one of her most important possessions just to put a smile on somebody's face. What a commendable, incredible thing. It's important that we understand that Christ is committed to sacrificing for us. As, he, as is described in this, uh, this text here in John, verse 13 really highlights it. It says, Greater love has no man than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. As I stated in the opening, uh, talking, the talk is cheap. And someone can say that they love us enough to die for us, but will they die for us in the end? The answer to this question from Jesus' standpoint and his commitment to us is yes. Yes. A question over the course of our lives that we might ask ourselves. And, and I don't mean to be morbid, um, or I'm not trying to measure your empathy today. Um, when, uh, when, when we ask this question is, who would I die for? Who would I die for? I think we probably all at least you know, taking a moment of inventory on ourselves and ask that question. Um, you know, there's certainly people in my life that immediately come to mind when this question enters. You know, my, my wife and kids are, are no doubters, okay? Um, I was joking, and I want to state that. I was joking uh, with my dad about this, actually, this last week. Um, and that's why I included this in the sermon. And, uh, and, he, and he said, oh, I, he, he was making a joke and said, I would take a bullet for you. Oh, yeah, don't worry about it, son. I got you. And I looked at him, I said, eh, you've lived a good life. You know, your dad, and, and I don't know at what point he hit an age where I was okay with it, but, you know, we might be there just in the natural if I was being honest. And I know that sounds kind of horrible. Um, I love my father. Um, but I was joking with him, and, and uh, if you understood the context of our relationship, this is how this works. I don't call my dad, dad, I call him dude. He has not called me by my name in a very long time. He has several weird names that he calls me. Um, he hides one of them by calling me a color maroon, which sounds like another insult that you might call somebody, and he's been doing that since I was 11. So, just to understand, we have an interesting, sarcastic relationship. But I, I think we've all asked ourselves that question, who, who would I die for? Who? Well, I, yeah, again, my, my wife, my kids, my family, and some friends that I love immediately would, of course, come to mind. Yeah, I love them. Of course I would. But I think a question that we should maybe ask ourselves 
is this. Who, who wouldn't I die for? As Christians, that's the question that maybe we need to ponder for a moment. Who wouldn't I die for? Um, Jesus said that his love is modeled in laying down his life for his friends. A study of the original language reveals that Jesus chose to die for his friends. It was not forced upon him. Jesus actively laid down his life. He did it every day in small ways and big things, so that when it came to sacrificing himself on the cross, it was something that he was prepared for. He was ready. It wasn't easy, but he did things daily to be ready for the greatest sacrifice. He was committed to the discipline of laying his life down. As parents, again, we do this all the time. We give up what we desire, what we want for the benefit of kids. We give them the last, you know, little piece of chicken. We give them uh, a sip of that drink that we know they're going to backwash into. Those, well, we know they're going to do it. We sacrifice in all those little ways. We lay ourselves down constantly as parents. We sacrifice sleep for sure, years of it it feels like. We sacrifice in so many different ways that it's not, it's not as hard after a while. It gets easier. It does. It just gets easier. For those of you who have lived a life of service, those of you who spent time in, in, in military and, uh, and have walked and that type of life where you are, your job is genuinely to lay your life down for those that you love, for your country, for the man next to you, the man or woman next to you that you're serving alongside. I think you understand that in the greatest way and maybe the most applicable way here what we're talking about. But we have all experienced laying our life down daily at some point in our lives in some fashion. And if you're not, I would tell you that the Bible teaches us here, right here in John, that it's a necessity of our faith and our walk with Christ. Laying your life down daily in service of others is what we are called to. It's what he did for three years as he walked with the disciples every day, was laying his life down in small, subtle ways. I am sure that Jesus gave the last little bit of food he had to one of the others. I am sure that he passed the cup without taking a sip. I am sure that he was possibly the last one to go to sleep or slept the furthest from the fire. I am sure of those things because the Bible tells us that he modeled laying your life down daily and he did it constantly and consistently. He was committed to it every day in every facet of his life. It is important to note that still at the end of his life before he took the cross, and we'll get there in a moment with some of that story, but still... When he prayed to the Father, he said, if you can have this pass over me, Father God, if you can take this from me, this burden of giving up my own life, then let it be. But if it is your will, then let it be done. He still struggled with it. It was still hard. It wasn't easy. Laying your life down every day is not easy. He probably struggled in those emotions. You can see that in the words of his prayer. It was hard to do, but he did it regardless. And I think that is an important element that we understand about what this uh, chapter reveals to us about who Jesus was. He verbally communicated uh, in saying that he loved us, and he showed his commitment in laying down his life. Upon his death, Jesus made us all aware that he was willing to die for those that he loved. And that is very true. 
He loved them. You remember, his, his own mother is there when this happens. How hard it must have been to watch her cry and to know that he had done this, probably in his own mind as a son. He had, in part, done this to her, what she was experiencing, but he knew why he had to do it. Didn't make what it, what it was going on uh, any easier. He was willing to die for those that he loved, but he was also willing to die for those who didn't love him. Those who hated his guts. He was willing to die for them regardless of their love for him. Uh, remember that while on the cross, Jesus had two men there with him. One on each side, both at his left and his right. Uh, and they were both thieves and being executed for their crimes. Many of you know that story from Luke chapter 23. Uh, the thief to his right recognizes Jesus and who he is. The Bible says that he repents of his sin. Jesus then declares, you will be with me uh, this day in paradise. Forgives the man of his sin. The one on the left, however, uh, the one on the left mocks Jesus. And he says to him, if you're the Messiah, then get us down from here. Take care of this. Deal with this. If you are really who you say you are, prove it. What he didn't understand was that Jesus was. He was proving in his act, in his selfless act of giving up his life. He was absolutely proving he was the Messiah. But he, again, that man mocked him as he died. Even later, those like Paul murdered his followers, not understanding the sacrifice of what Jesus had done for them. I don't think that Jesus actually ever bothered to ask himself the question, who would I lay my life down for? Because Jesus understood his solitary purpose was to love, regardless of what the response to his love would be. And he did it no matter what. He was committed to serving others and loving them always. I think it's easy for us to love those who love us. That's no problem. It's easy for us to talk about Jesus here. This is the church building. This is what we do here. It's easy for us to talk about our faith, about how much we love Christ, about how much he loves us. It's no problem. I can do this all day. We can just stand here and pass the mic around. We can talk about it. Not a big deal. It is hard for us to walk outside of this place. And I don't know what it is about these magical walls. But it's hard for us sometimes to talk about our faith, our love for Christ. We sometimes find ourselves feeling a little more like Peter the day of, don't we? Scared. Scared of what others would think. We worry about it. It's also difficult to live out that love in our lives. It's easy for us to read it. It's easy for a pastor to preach it. It's really hard. And I'm, I'm speaking to myself here sometimes. To show that love when somebody does something that wrongs me. And I'm starving for justice. <laughs> in that situation, or I feel that I need to correct this horrible wrong that's been done to me. It's hard to be loving and to lay it down constantly, time after time, regardless of the response. This wasn't the only time Jesus was mocked, made fun of. This wasn't the only time that people said he wasn't who he was. This isn't the only time that he, got, that, that he had been uh, welcomed into a place and then dismissed from it, if you will. Happened constantly in his life. But he was faithful, faithful to what God had asked of him regardless of the situation. He was always willing to sacrifice no matter what. 
He was committed to the process, beginning to end. And that process prepared him for the ultimate sacrifice that he gave. Our third point this morning, Christ is committed to journeying with us. The passage uh, we are studying towards the end of Jesus' time here on earth, uh, reminder that, again, he spent three years with his disciples, and he is soon about to return to the Father. Because of this, we see him begin to address the disciples as his friends. That's an important thing to note as well. They were his friends. I don't know if you guys had grown up with uh, a good set of friends. I was blessed with three ridiculous friends that I grew up with. Um, we came from uh, very interesting walks of life. I met them when I moved to Klamath Falls. Uh, right after I was going to church here as a kid, we left and we went down uh, there. And uh, when I was eight years old, I met uh, two, two guys that were cousins. Um, and um, we were very into um, our ethnic backgrounds and where we came from. Um, I was a very proud Hungarian. Um, and, uh, and so they called me the Hun. Um, it was a name. I didn't really embrace that as an adult, but I'm giving up something on myself there. Um, but we had a, uh, a friend of ours who was, uh, he was French, and then another one that was Irish, and, uh, and our, our good buddy, uh, his name is Dalen, um, he, uh, he was um, Hawaiian and Indian, and um, we, we loved making fun of each other about stereotypes that had to do with those things, which I know is a terrible thing to do now, but it was a lot of fun when we were kids. And uh, we did that for a really long time. As we got older, we kind of grew apart, as childhood friends do. I get to see one of them uh, every so often. The other two guys I don't see as much. Um, and life just took us different places. But we did a lot of fun things. Some of them I'm I don't think I could tell you the stories about because I'm not sure if the statute of limitations is up on those. Um, and other things that it would just take too long, but I would love to share stories about those, uh, my friends. Particularly, I want to share one, though, that happened as we were adults because I journeyed with these guys through everything. I had been with them through so many different things in life. Um, and we had we'd experienced all the normal things that you do as teenagers, Okay. We, we went through, you know, the first girlfriend. I think I was the first one in the group to have a girlfriend. I'm also the oldest. I guess that kind of makes sense. Um, and uh, we went through, um, we all played instruments. We played sports. Uh, we uh, we uh, learned about movies and life together, all that stuff. We had a great time. I uh, spent the night at each other's houses constantly, all that stuff. But one of the things that happens as you get older and you get married and you move away is you also start your family. And um, our friend Dalen was the last one to start a family. Uh, he had kids a little later in life. And um, a couple years ago, I hadn't, I hadn't been talking to him all that much. He'd gotten married, was out doing his thing. He works for the railroad, works a lot. Uh, I saw on Facebook, uh, and I knew his wife was about to give birth uh, to their second kid. I saw on Facebook this post, and it said, pray for us. We're headed to OHSU. I think we all know that's never good, or rarely is. And um, so I texted him. I said, hey, man, I saw your post. Hope you're okay. You know I'm praying with you. Don't feel the need to respond. You know, whenever is good. And he responded immediately. And he said, "Uh, something was wrong. um, Something's wrong with my son. They don't know what it is. They don't know what's going on. Um, But he has has to get life lighted up there. My wife's with him, and... um, 
I'm uh, driving faster than I ever have in my life uh, to get up there. And uh, I said, okay. I said, and I lived closer than he did. And he, lived, he still lived in Klamath Falls. I said, you want me to meet you there? He said, no, 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 don't, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you about it later. Within the coming days and, and weeks, uh, they found out several things about his medical status. And what had happened to this uh, young child was that um, when he was born, the left and the right of his brain were not connected. And um, if you understand a little bit of um, what that means, I, he was not long for this world. I did not have a lot of time. The brain functions were not going to be able to support him, and um, machines were going to keep him alive. And that became a very obvious reality, and at one point I I just knew, I, he'd, he'd tried to keep us away, you know, he didn't want other people to have to come up and just feel bad for them, and, and he, he was trying to be very private about it, I said, hey man, I said, it's me, can I, I'm not trying to barge in, it's been a few weeks, I said, can I come? And he's like, yeah, yeah, that would be fine, so I went up, saw him there, and when I saw his son, I knew. Those of us that have experienced loss in life, we know. We know when somebody is probably uh, going to be with us uh, a lot less than we had hoped for or anticipated. And I just began to cry and to weep, and we hugged. There were no words that needed to be spoken, nothing. I spent some time with him, and later I came back, and we, we had a conversation, and I said, I think we should dedicate your son. And uh, he said, yeah, yeah, we should. So there at OHSU, we, uh, we dedicated Forrest. These are great names. His name is Forrest Lake. Um, and uh, we dedicated him, and it was just a few short days after, and he went to be with Jesus. I'd never journeyed through something so difficult with a friend or a family member. I cannot imagine as a parent what he went through. Could not at all. It was hard just being a friend in that situation. To have something that you love so much, so helpless, and know that it's, it's, that your own kid's going to pass. Can't imagine. But God gave me the opportunity to journey with him through that. I was very grateful for it. We know that Forrest is in heaven. We know in his parents to this day, thank God for it. And it did not wreck them spiritually. Made them question a lot. But what was harder, almost, was two years later, they got pregnant again, and the same diagnosis came. Things like this will test anyone's resolve. Before the baby's born, we started to pray. And it just happened that I was in the area when they found out I was speaking and helping out at another church, and I drove over to his house right after they found out, and I said, I don't know. I don't have anything to say. And we cried together. And we got angry together. We talked to God together. Eventually, we laughed. We came to a place of peace. And we just trusted God. And that little guy is two years old. Just had his birthday this last week. God was faithful. And he heard their prayers. He heard our prayers. It's important to journey with people, regardless of the scenario and the situation. 
Because Jesus journeyed regardless of what these disciples were doing and the stupid things that they did. He walked through life with them, and anyone who wanted to walk with him walked with him. Remember, the crowds got enormous, especially that last year of ministry. And people came, and they just did life with him. And he was doing life regardless of whether they'd had a death in the family or they were going through horrible circumstances, loving on them, telling them that God the Father was with them, and he was communicating with them all the time, no matter what. Even when they questioned him, even when they got angry with him, even when they didn't understand He journeyed with them, no matter what the situation. To be very honest with you, I leaned hard on the presence of the Holy Spirit when I had to go and be in that hospital and when I went to my friend's house. I'm not smart. I didn't know what to say. I don't have a counseling degree. I don't have those tools in my pocket. But I had the Holy Spirit. I know I did, because I prayed a lot before I showed up at either of those places. I knew that I was not going to be able to bring comfort in my own. And you will oftentimes find yourself in a place where you cannot do what needs to be done. God puts you in that place understanding that. But he, through you, can. No matter what the situation is, he is asking that you are willing to journey regardless of what's going on. And you are willing to be used by him. That is the most important thing. Your willingness. I tell people all the time, the, and, and I, I was a youth pastor for 15 years. I told students this constantly. God could care less about how good you do at what you do. He cares about your obedience to do it. That is what matters. Let him figure out the outcome. There are days I come up here and forget words to songs while I'm singing. It happens. I forget chords. I do willy, weird and silly things, don't I, Wendy? All the time. I just said the word willy three seconds ago. I'm like, I do dumb stuff, but I am obedient to what God has called me to do. I know that I need to be. I know what he's done in my life, and I am excited always to talk about it and to share it with others. We are called to be friends, and a friend is someone uh, with which you enjoy community and fellowship with them. If one did not want to continue a relationship with someone else, he would not offer a friendship. If Jesus' love and commitment was only in that moment or only at the cross, then he would not have talked about a friendship with them. When Moses was commissioning Joshua, this is in Deuteronomy 31.6, Moses said that the Lord God will not leave you or abandon you. The author of Hebrews says it this way. He says, for he himself said, I will never leave you or abandon you. That's in 13.5. The mark of a friend is one who is committed to an ongoing relationship, and this is Jesus' commitment to us. Lastly, Christ is committed to using us. Let's talk about that group that Jesus chose. In verse 16, um, yeah, he highlights this. That group that Jesus chose, we know there was at least four fishermen, at least uh, four, probably five um, and uh, we know there was a tax collector that bared my name, uh, this guy Matthew, uh, not the most likable human being on the face of the planet. Um, I think all of us are not super fond of the IRS, uh, just inherently as Americans. That's a thing that's ingrained to us. Uh, not a big fan. Um, so you can imagine how much they liked Matthew, who was basically a criminal uh, that the government hired to do their bidding, uh, and he got to do whatever he wanted. Uh, they said charge 10%. He was like, 20 sounds good. Um, And as long as they got their 10%, they could care less. That's how that worked. 
Jesus chose these people not because they were necessarily going to be good friends to him, not because people liked them or they were the most likable people, i.e. Peter, but they were willing. They were not just available, but when he said, come and follow me, they dropped everything. They said, yeah, I will run after what you have. And immediately they recognize who he is and the truth that he is speaking, just in his presence, just in his words, they understood it. They knew that his talk was not cheap. And he decided that those who said yes, he was going to use. He could have used a lot of people. Remember that Jesus did hang out at the temple. There were some pretty smart people there that people probably would have listened to. But we know that they were not willing to lay it down. Those prideful men stood there and they said, no, this is truth and this is right. And these rules that we have made up and these things that we have decided, uh, our traditions, um, we're going to keep moving forward with those. And, and we'll talk to you about what you want to talk about, Jesus, but nah, we're good. They denied truth, and so he did not use them. Verse 16 says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Love that. You did not choose me, but I chose you. We've all been chosen. We've all been given task. And whether that task is honestly uh, saying hello to people, greeting, grabbing an <clears throat> umbrella and running out, whatever that is, we've all been chosen. You may uh, have seen our sign-ups out there this last week <clears throat> and taking a look at those. The opportunity to hang out with some really loud teenagers is out there, running a soundboard, making coffee, cleaning, meeting someone again, at the car door with an umbrella, we all have a place in which we could commit ourselves. And my question this morning is, are we willing to do? Are we willing to do that? As we journey with Christ, as we uh, understand his sacrifice, as we understand his love for us, are we willing to do everything that he was doing in the lives of those disciples and those who followed him? Are we willing to do the same? This morning I have a quick video that illustrates this point a little further. If you direct your eyes to the screen.
ready to do the work. In his love, he sacrificed. With his life, he gave. And I believe that Christ's challenge to us was to do nothing more than what he'd done himself. To lay down your life daily. When it comes to our commitment, it's easier said than done. But church, talk is cheap. It is. I've sat in chairs in church and said, you know, I, have a, I got a busy week ahead of me. I got a busy month. I got two kids that take up all my free time. I don't want to do more. I need to do less. It's an understandable thought process. But I would challenge each of you today be willing to lay your life down. There's no greater reward than in serving others. There's no greater thing that we are called to than lay down the self and run after what Christ has for us. Pastor Dan said it last week really well. No one's called to be on the bench. There is no bench in this game. There isn't. So we're not asking you to do anything that we're not doing ourselves. We're not asking you to do anything that Christ hasn't modeled. But this morning, would you prayerfully consider how to lay your life down when it comes to your daily walk, the people that are around you? Would you take the opportunity to commit yourself to that today and know what that looks like in an even greater way? Let's get good at the discipline of laying our lives down. Let's make it a vital, important part of our everyday and embrace what he has called us to. Let's bow our heads this morning. Father God, I thank you for this scripture, for the conviction that is here, that as Christ laid down his life, so should we. That as Christ loved people and became their friends regardless of how they felt about him. He did it and so should we. He loved them no matter what. God forgive us for the things that we hold on to when we are wronged. God forgive us for the times that we are not obedient when your Holy Spirit is leading us to serve because we're uncomfortable or we are tired. Whatever our excuse is, God, forgive us today. And church, let's ask for that forgiveness because we all need it this morning. We have at times failed to show the commitment that's been shown to us. We have failed at times to embrace the call upon our lives to serve our community, and a world that does not know him, that does not know Christ. This morning, God, as we come to a place of understanding on this, may we ourselves 
be ready to take the next step. And whatever you have called us to, whatever level of commitment we need to embrace in our lives, may we do it wholeheartedly this morning, Lord God. God, we love you. We thank you for your scriptures. We thank you, God, for this teaching. We thank you that your presence is here with us today. God, as we go from this place, may our hearts genuinely be to serve in whatever capacity that looks like, to serve our community, our family, Lord God, our friends, those who do not like us. May we serve them well and show them who you are in us, Lord God. May we truly be a light on the hill. God, thank you for the opportunities that will come, and may we be led by your Holy Spirit. In your name this morning we pray. Amen. Church, as you go from here today, there are still opportunities in the lobby. If you'd like to serve the things that we do here at the church, I'd encourage you to just prayerfully consider it and go look at those. And this next week, look for those opportunities to serve here in the community, in your home, those that you love, those that you know don't really like you. Serve them this week, would you, as you go, be the neighborhood. We love you. Have a great week.